study of there was a part of that was a was a stall we're trying to do a thing with the audio and transitioning audio a little bit so I appreciate your your uh, your patience on that back in our back in our study of um, lessons from Jesus questions it's hard to believe this is our 15th uh, 15th message out of this uh, out of this series uh, we're back in the book of Matthew for today's uh, message Matthew chapter 15 it's on your uh, on your page but uh, will also be on this on the screen again as a reminder I've said it a few times I'll say it a few times more that Jesus is asking questions not because he doesn't know although that's one of the things we do when we ask questions why are we doing it this way or how much how much food do I need to bring how big should you know we sometimes we ask questions so that we can get the information we need to move forward Jesus wasn't asking because he had lack of information, he was asking to prompt a decision, prompt a response. Uh, We've seen lots of different things. Today we're going to be looking again specifically in Matthew 15. Then Jesus called his disciples unto him. Uh, So again, remember, we need to to remember the audience. uh, And said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint in the way. And his disciples said unto him, or saying to him, When should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? And Jesus saith unto him, unto them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven, and a few little fishes. You may remember our previous study on the fish. So probably those were the sardine types, the little fish. There were great fish. There was kind of a medium-sized fish. And then there was little fish that would be pickled. Probably a few little pickled fish and he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and the fishes and gave thanks then break them and gave to his uh, to his disciples and the disciples then to the multitude and they uh, did all eat and were filled and they took up the broken meat that was left seven baskets full. And so our lesson today is really about this question, how many loaves have ye? And we'll look at a, uh, our kind of our doctrinal look will be at, uh, at fasting. And then when we move into the devotional time, we'll look at the identification of the need, the identification of the insufficiency, and how the solution is often right there in front of us. And so our study point number 15, our, again, and our 15th message here is this doctrinal look at fasting. So we're going to spend some time talking about fasting because it's interesting, even in this passage, Jesus says, I'm not going to send them away fasting, right? And he is not, this is actually not a spiritual implication here. Fasting, by definition, is not taking food, Okay. There are times that we do that for a spiritual purpose. There are times we do that for a medicinal or medical purpose, right? There, are, you know, uh, I know sometimes if you have to have a certain blood work, you need to have fasting blood work, right? So that means you're not supposed to eat for whatever twelve hours before whatever it is. There's times when you're not supposed to eat before surgery, so you don't aspirate and choke. There's time, there's there's reasons your doctor might have you fast from a dietary perspective, right? So there's there's spiritual situations, and we'll, we'll talk a lot about that today, but there's also non-spiritual situations, and Jesus is actually talking about a non-spiritual situation here. He's saying, 
in a parallel uh, passage in Mark 8, and if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. From afar, or from far. So there are times when people just don't eat, and as a result, they will have weakness, they will have a problem, uh, in this case, the ability to walk home, right? And so fasting is not always spiritual. It's, it's just simply the act of not taking food. And again, that act of not taking food can be a spiritual event, but it isn't always. Notice in Acts 27, th- verses 33 and 34, um, so Paul is, you remember the, 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 the shipwreck situation, Eurachlodon, the big, the big storm. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them to take meat, saying, This is the fourteenth day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Um, wherefore, I pray you to take some meat, for, for this is for your health. Like, so, so I don't think, there's no reason to believe they were fasting. For the purpose of the storm, they were probably fasting because they were unable to really sit down and take any food in because they were tending to the ship in the midst of a storm, right? And uh, and they were caught in that storm. In Second Corinthians uh, six verse five, Paul is talking about the things that have come upon him, and notice in imprisonments, insults, and labor. Watchings in fastings. There were times that because of his testimony, because of the travels, because of the situation, he was not able to eat. And he's actually putting the fastings in with things that are kind of have a negative connotation, a persecution connotation, if you will, right? And even then in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in weariness and painfulness and watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, there were times where Paul was simply not able to eat. He didn't have access to food. Maybe he was in prison. Maybe he was um, traveling. He just did not have the resources to, to eat. So fasting in this specific context, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to send them away fasting because they don't have food and they, it's going to take them a while to, to walk home. I mean, simply put, right? Or to maybe even to walk to a place there where there was food. Or walk to a place where if a bunch of people, you know, there's towns, little towns all along the way. So they might have inundated a small village where there were some people that maybe had made some extra bread and they might sell it, right? So there's, in a small village, there might be the person that makes a lot of bread and sells it to the people that 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 had the animals, right? They didn't, tend, you know, they didn't make, so they traded or bartered, right? Some of these small towns wouldn't have had the infrastructure to support that, right? You, 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 you push hundreds of people on a restaurant all at once, and that's a problem sometimes, right? So, so this is the, just the background of fasting is we have to remember it is not taking food. Okay. Now we'll talk about the purpose often behind it, but fasting can be a proper response to your situation. Situation is your blank there. So your situation. Notice in First Samuel chapter seven and verse six, they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said, "There we have sinned against the Lord." So in that case, 
they intentionally went without food because they were trying to humble themselves with respect to the confession of sin. Right? So there, it can be a response to a situation, not necessarily that they had a lack of access to food, like we saw Paul talk about, or even this, this passage in Matthew, where there was a lack of enough food to take care of the multitude. In this case, they chose to forego food for a period of time because of the the situation they were they were confronted with their sin they needed to confess that notice in second chronicles 20 and verse 3 and jehoshaphat uh, feared and set himself to seek the lord and then proclaimed a fast throughout all judah so he if you will, projected the situation on others, asking them to fast as well, or or proclaiming, I guess, commanding a fast for others. Fasting is a a thing that should be in your in your repertoire, so to speak, of response when God is moving. Not always, I, you know. It's not the thing that necessarily you should even do the first, right? It's a, we'll, we'll, as we continue to see in Scripture, it's it's a special thing. It's a thing that that ought to have. It's kind of like the Lord's Supper and 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 you know this morning. You know we don't do it all the time. Some churches do it every week, and I'm not mad at them about doing it every week, but anything you do every week comes a sense of familiarity, right? And you don't, you don't um, maybe respect it. I don't know, that, that might not be the best term, but it's, it, it becomes less special, maybe is the best way of describing it. So, so I, I knew, I've known men who routinely fast. They may fast a certain day of the week, or they may not eat lunch, um, and that's fine. And I'm not judging them at all. But my suspicion is it becomes part of their routine as compared to being something special or something set apart or sanctified, right? And this can, fasting can be a response. I know there's been a few times in my life where because of a situation, I or we have chosen to fast, right? It's a response. But it's also a way to deal with grief. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 12, uh, so this is when uh, Saul and Jonathan have died, and they mourned and wept and fasted until even for Saul to the night, for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord, for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. This is a... So sometimes people fast, and this, this is a situation where... It could potentially be a response. It could be an emotional response or a spiritual response. I've been around people who've unexpectedly lost loved ones and people tend to shower them with love and they tend to shower them with food because the natural response is to not eat. I actually met with one this week uh, dealing with a, a fairly serious health situation and one of the questions is, are you eating? It's important to eat. It's important to take nourishment because you don't feel like eating when you're you know standing in in bedside in the ICU. You don't think about it. Your your focus is projected on the situation, your loved one, other cares, other concerns, and honestly, you lose your appetite. And so it's a common response in grief to fast. Now whether they chose to fast or whether they just did as a result of the loss, I don't know. Not sure it 
particularly matters, but there are times when we need to fast out of grief. Even in 2 Samuel chapter 12, um, David therefore besought the Lord for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth because of his his child. He you know presumably knew he was he was going to die, so he had a and obviously he was dealing with his grief over his own sins. So so fasting is a reasonable response in certain circumstances, but it needs to be balanced with nourishment. Right? Fasting can also be planned and structured. So we do this as a church, certainly every fall. I know that sometimes we do it in the spring as well, where we set aside a season of fasting. And it is really postured as fasting from any number of things. There have been times, uh, you know, we do it over kind of a two-week period that includes kind of three Tuesdays. Um, I don't know too many folks. I have heard uh, that some people literally have fasted from food the entire two weeks. I I don't generally recommend that. I think you should be A, very clearly called of the Lord to do that, and B, you need to be very careful about your health. Not every Everyone can do that based on their job, right? Their physical requirements of their job, based on their health. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, diabetics and those types of things. Like, unless you were absolutely convinced that you were supposed to do that, and we should probably even seek that out in prayer. Um, you know, I don't encourage people to just not eat for two weeks. But there are times where, whether you choose a day or whether you choose a meal to fast from, or uh, maybe a few days, uh, you know. We can have that discussion, but I know Sam has talked about fasting from maybe electronics or social media or certain types of foods, and all of those things are legitimate, especially within the structure of what we're trying to accomplish during that time of fasting. This fasting really is about food, and it is and it can be structured. And some people look down on a structured fast as if it should only be a response, but a planned fasting is 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 and can be very powerful. Notice in Zechariah chapter 8, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the, fa- the fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth month, and the fast of the seventh month, and the fast of the tenth. Like there are scheduled fasts. That's okay. That's something, and, and honestly, you can prepare for it in some ways. I know when we fast, there are times when I kind of feel like I got to get certain things out of the house. Right? So the snicker bars, I'm going to eat them all up. Before the fast, it's not exactly how it works, but well, it's kind of how it works. But it's not just Snickers. Um, but like, you need to prepare for it, right? And your fasting. So for those of you with younger kids, your fasting doesn't necessarily project onto the kids. That's another discussion for another time. But there are, we have had some parents that feel very strongly that they're fasting, that they're going to fast as a family. We can have that discussion. We can talk about that. But, but we need to be very sober-minded going into that. But notice in 1 Corinthians 7, within the context of, of sexual relationship between a husband and a wife, 
defraud ye not one, uh, one the other, except it be with consent for a time. We've planned this, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again for Satan, uh, or that Satan tempt, uh, tempt you not for your incontinency. So there are times when you agree to enter into a fast. So, so fasting absolutely can be planned. It absolutely can be structured. That's okay. That doesn't make it less spiritual. It doesn't make it less impactful. Another thing that's, I think, really interesting is fasting is, is overtly, clearly personal versus public. Notice in Matthew chapter 6, um, these three verses, Moreover, when ye fast, so Jesus is talking, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you that they have their reward, the you know the accolades of their buddies, right? But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, like it's you're not. I don't want you showing up at church being like I'm just so, I'm so hungry because I'm fasting because I'm so spiritual. Like that's not how it works. Right. Right? That's not how it works. It's that you've just under, you have your reward because the attention that you've gotten from your friend or people that you're trying to impress. But anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father which is in secret. And thy father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Like, honestly, I would be good if during our season of fasting and prayer, you didn't say to me what you were fasting from. Like, now, if you have some questions and you want to talk about it, that's cool. But you don't need to come up and be like, yeah, I've I've been able to give up food for for 16 days. Really? What's that? What's that dessert on your lip right there? You know, like, like, like. Chances are, that's a tell of what's going on in your heart. If the Lord has convicted you to fast again, especially a hard fast, especially a long fast, we should talk about that. But some people fast from. They do kind of a Daniel fast. They fast from pleasant food, or they fast from, and they they only drink certain things. They only maybe drink some juice or or. Uh, that sort of thing, so that they can keep, you know, some of their, like I say, their blood sugars and some of their energy and some protein uh, going. But, but it's a very personal thing. Doesn't mean we can't talk about it, especially in in preparation for it. But, but it's a very personal thing. This should not be something you wear or post on Facebook. Like, I'm just, I'm fasting. So if you all could remember me, you know, okay, Miss Spiritual One, right? <laughs> fasting, and this is important. Fasting does not compel God to give you attention. Okay? Its design is to get our attention. Okay? It's to cause us to remember when the stomach pains, you know, the the stomach, even just as we were kind of getting ready, my stomach was growling. It was the other day, uh, where was it here? Was it last? Somewhere. I was somewhere uh, and my stomach was just growling like crazy the other day. Right, right. It's like, it's like, but that and the sense of longing for food, that desire to eat when you're fasting, should be a reminder. 
It's not a you're you're not getting credit with God because you've afflicted yourself. It's meant to be a reminder of why you're doing what you're doing. And it is, to some degree, to push you to control your flesh. You are in charge of your flesh, not the other way around. Or at least that's the way it should be. So it doesn't get God's attention, so to speak. It gets our attention. In Ezra chapter 8, Then I proclaimed a fast there at River uh, uh, Hava uh, that we might afflict ourselves before God. Now you say, well, Mitch, you just said it's not about afflicting yourselves. Well, they were afflicting themselves, but it's not like lashes or, or whatever. The affliction is the very light affliction of going without food, right? Um, to seek of him, look at the words, to seek of him a right way for us. It doesn't say that, you know, so God could, would finally hear us, right? That's not, how, that's not how the concept of prayer works with God. There are things that can inhibit our prayers, but there are not other things that cause God to give us more attention. There are things like sin, not being born again, that can literally inhibit our prayers. But once we're a child of of God, once we are in the family, our prayers are heard. They are heard at the throne. Uh, To seek of him a right way for us and for our little ones, so I want to know how to lead, and for all our substance. So we fasted and besought our God for this. And he was entreated of us. Now, that word, it's interesting, he was entreated of us means to have asked. So so literally, it's restating it. So we fasted and besought our God for this, and we asked him. (laughs) He was entreated. He heard our prayers, not just because we were fasted, but it was that important in our lives. Notice... Again, in uh, in Second Chronicles chapter twenty and verse three, and Jehoshaphat uh, feared and set himself to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast. So the purpose of the fast was to clear the table, to focus on the prayer. And some people, the fast is so hard that it actually does the inverse. And I don't generally think long hard fasts are in order. Again, you can feel compelled about that. You can feel convicted about that. We can have that discussion. I actually met a dude who did a hard fast for a month. I was like, wow. That's that's like a serious thing that we need to talk about. Fasting is associated with prayer. There's lots of of verses here uh, where fasting, you know, we're not going to go through them. But fasting is also associated with ministry. And I think that's an important, uh, important note. I think we almost always associate fasting with prayer because when you fast, generally you're giving yourself to prayer. You're not eating... And you're spending that time in, in prayer, right? But there, that's not the only thing, right? You can actually fast so that you can do an action. So in Matthew 17, we see that Jesus said, This kind cometh not out except by fasting and prayer. Like, loosing the demon actually required the person to be fasting. Yes. Actually, so so re, um, reliant on the Lord to do that work. Even in Acts 13, when Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to get out, sent out, they bo- actually turn over to Acts 13 real quick. We've got we got time. Acts 13. 
in Acts 13 and verse uh, 2. <clears throat> Starting, uh, we'll just start in verse one. Uh, well, there, there were a bunch of guys in verse one. As they ministered to the Lord, and they, they were really important guys. I mean, the, the Lord knows their names. Um, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, "Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work uh, whereunto I have called them." So they weren't fasting to necessarily hear from the Lord. We don't know that. They might have been. But it's just as plausible that while they were fasting and ministering, they heard from the Lord. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So we, we see Barnabas and Saul fasting. And ministering, we see the other pastors and leaders fasting and praying to send them. So in preparation for somebody going, the missionary concept needs to be bathed not only in prayer, but I would argue in fasting. Uh, you know, it's a reasonable question if somebody's saying, I think I might be the guy or we're the couple that's supposed to go to Dallas to help start this church. Well, have you fasted about that? Have you prayed about that? Have you really allowed the Lord into, into a deep position where you're really seeking His face on this? Because we don't want, like, a lot, we don't, we don't have room for error here, right? But so we see it's associated with prayer and we see it's associated with ministry, but more often than not, notice all of these references, it's associated with humbling yourself. Especially if uh, back in the day, so, so when I, I went to Zambia, Africa, at this point, what, 17 years ago maybe? Yikes, it's been a minute. And some, and, and you're just going to have to bear with me on this, right? You're just going to have to bear with me. But there was a guy, Joseph, and Joseph was not a skinny dude. Just roll with it, all right? Joseph had a belly. But there, guys would come up and they would touch his belly and they would say, this is Joseph's wisdom. They actually saw it as a compliment, where here we see a belly as maybe something like, you know, not, not a compliment. There, they saw it as this was a guy who was wise enough in his dealings, in his interactions with people, that he had plenty of food to eat. Plenty of food. Because over there, having enough food is not a guarantee. Right? So somebody that was a little bigger must have something going on because they have more than ample supply of food. In this context, it's interesting because a lot of the, the, the people in Scripture, especially the kings that would lead people in fasting, they had more than enough. They were actually sacrificing. They were actually giving of themselves to this time of prayer. So they're literally humbling themselves. They're humbling themselves. It, we, we saw the confession of sin, but the mourning and weeping. Look at the number of times fast associated with mourning and weeping. Is that, is that going to bring anybody back from the dead? Not in any of these circumstances. Okay? I would not, if, if someone, if you got in the, the, the horrid, the, just the horrific, the, 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 the catastrophic call today that one of your loved ones died unexpectedly, I would not suggest that you fast until they come back to life. Like that's not going to end well for you. Like, that's just not, it's not going to go well. 
But mourning and weeping is something people do. Why? To clear their mind so that they they can connect with the Lord. And even notice the sackcloth and ashes. The number of times that, that fasting is associated with taking off the garments that are nice, putting on sackcloth, covering yourself in ashes, and humbling yourself before God. Again, in a very private way. So that's our, that's our, our, our doctrinal look at, at fasting. If you are, are considering a fast, again, I would encourage you, grab me, let's talk about it, let's understand why, because at the end of the day, it's not about you getting more of God's attention. Okay? It's about you getting more of your attention to focus on the thing at hand. Okay? So that's fasting. So this brings us to our first devotional lesson today. The minister, a minister perceives and addresses needs. Right? Uh, Perceives and addresses needs. If we go back to our passage, then Jesus, in verse 32, called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Jesus understood that. He saw that need. Right, And then he says, I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. So he saw their actual need that they had at that time. They had not been eating and could see into the future, so to speak. I mean, it was, it was all God, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say, you've been with me for several days with no food. We're now removed. You're now going to have to walk a ways to get back home. You're going to faint in the way. You're not maybe even going to make it. There would be collateral damage. right? So a minister perceives and addresses these needs. That is one of the responsibilities of a shepherd. Okay? So we're going to jump between the illustration of a shepherd and the actual practical application in this scripture. Okay? They continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. I will not send them away fasting lest they faint. So shepherding requires perception but also provision. Okay? Perception and provision. So Jesus understood what was going on there, and then he's going to provide for it. Now, this is, this is where some of my responsibility as the shepherd of this class comes into play. There are times when I have discussions with you where you tell me what you think you need. And I seek the Lord in those moments to the extent that I can to try to figure out if that is in fact what you really need. Because you may say, I need X, but what you really need is Y. And that is something I take very seriously. And I think it's something the pastors and and elders of this church take very seriously, is that somebody that walks up off of the street and says, I'm hungry, I need a sandwich, may not, in fact, be their biggest need. Right. Right? We may, in fact, use the sandwich as the opportunity to share the gospel. I mean, that's, that's kind of the most obvious, right? But there are times when people come up and ask me all sorts of guidance-type questions, but what they're actually asking is nibbling at the core issue. And I have to trust. I have to ask the Lord. I have to ask the Holy Spirit to lead me. We know fasting or no food leads to weakness, right? We saw that before to some degree. But notice in Isaiah, he is hungry and his strength faileth. He drinketh no water and is faint. That's what's going to happen if you fast long enough, right? So the understanding 
here is that he is hungry and his strength faileth. He needs the provision. That's what's causing the strength to fail, not some other issue. Similarly, in, in, in 1 Samuel 28, 20, there was no strength in him. Why? Was it because he's, uh, he's, he's grieving or something? No, for he had eaten no bread all the, do- the day, nor all the night. So he's weak. I mean, have you ever been in a situation, it doesn't matter what you do, whether it's swinging a hammer, using a shovel, like anything physical, all the way over to trying to do manage other people's money and accounting like there are times that I have been working and I'm like I cannot focus I am so hungry I need a Snickers bar I mean that's uh, <laughs> we're just going to run with it right I mean that's what that's actually what the whole Snickers bar ad campaign is made of is that if in fact you get what is, is it angry no no there's more <coughs> is it, what is it you're not you when you're hungry Right? Literally, it is the it is the shepherd's responsibility to understand the nature of the hunger. There are some people that are physically hungry. <clears throat> there are some people that are spiritually hungry. There are some people that are just looking for a friend yeah. when they show up. And it is our responsibility, and I would argue it's even your responsibility, to seek the Lord for the spiritual lies to understand that. Notice that weakness leads to bad decisions. So fasting leads to weakness. That's why it generally should be for a short season if you're going to intentionally do it. It will lead to weakness, and weakness can and often does lead to bad decisions. Notice in Genesis 25, right, we know that Jacob sod pottage, which is an interesting way of just saying he he had soup on, right? And Esau came from the field. He had been hunting and probably running after, walking after, looking for, up and down hills, like he had been doing it. He came, he was faint. Why? He had no food. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage. For I am faint, uh, therefore, or I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. Literally, and we, we can continue on in the story, right? He sells his birthright for that, that pottage, for, that, for just a little bit of soup. Okay? And as a result, his weakness got, his physical weakness got in the way of a very important decision. So, Jesus understands this. If he sends the multitude away, are they going to die? Probably not. But they're going to get weak and faint. And that is a very important spiritual picture. I, it is my responsibility to feed you. I take that responsibility. Not, not the, it's not the only food you eat. Okay? It's not all the food that you take in comes through Mitch and Sam. That's not, what, that's not my point. Do not mishear me. It is my responsibility to feed you for 45 or so minutes on Sunday morning. You need to be able to feed yourself. I can't do the math. The rest of the hours of the week. <laughs> Like you, that is that is not. I if you are only eating here and in service, you're fasting six days out of the week. Don't do that. Spend time in the Word. Spend time in Bible study. Spend time understanding how to study your Bible. Grow in that, because if not, you're going to end up weak, 
and then you're going to end up making bad decisions. That's how it works. And they, those folks would have been weak in the way, and their bad decision might have been, well, that Jesus ain't worth following. I mean, I was just with him for three days, and now he's making me walk home, and I don't even have a sandwich. I, I had these kind of problems when I stayed at home. Right? Weakness can lead to bad decisions. All right? Weakness can lead to bad decisions. Now notice, the fundamental role of a shepherd is to provide food. Right? Now there is a, there is a lesson here about leading a horse to water, but you not being able to make him drink. Okay? So it is my responsibility to prepare a meal, a spiritual meal for you, on Sunday mornings. But I cannot force it down your throat. I am laying it before you, and you have to take it in. Yes? Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I, cannot, I cannot yell at you. I cannot grab you like Airplane, the movie, and shake you. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And until you get it. Like, that's not how it works. I just lay the food out there. What does a shepherd do? He leads the sheep to where there's grass to eat. Does he take the grass and, grass and rip it up and shove it down the throat of the sheep? No. That's not how it works. It's to provide food, but not, I don't know, turn it into nourishment. I don't know how to say it. Like, there is a responsibility of the sheep. Okay, but there is the, that is the role of the shepherd. Even the most commonly known psalm, maybe arguably the most commonly known scripture, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And notice in verse 5, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. He prepares the table, but he doesn't feed you. He doesn't put it, doesn't chew. you're not a baby bird. God is not going to chew this up and then, okay, now open your mouth and I'm going to put it in your mouth for you. Like, that's not how it works. Isaiah 40, verse 11, And he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. Jeremiah 23, 4, And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them. Neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. If, so, so people come and go. People, jobs happen. People move. We've, we've experienced people moving to different parts of the country. Life happens. Right? When life happens, you have to be able to identify good shepherds in your life. You have to. A shepherd will prepare a, pl- a spiritual plate and put it before you. And it will be good for you. It will be balanced. There might be times where the shepherd gets a little mad. But there's going to be plenty of times when the shepherd looks you in the eye in a loving, very compassionate, gracious way. Like, I'm listening to a podcast, and I don't necessarily recommend it, uh, but it's The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And I don't know if you know the story about Mars Hill, but Mark Driscoll was the pastor. It kind of sounds to me like Mark, Mark Driscoll had one message, and it was kind of mad. Like, it kind of sounds to me like he only fed one kind of food to his, 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 uh, his, to his sheep. It kind of sounds to me, obviously it's just a little snippet of, of a big long story, but it kind of sounds to me like he didn't balance it. It kind of sounds to me like if there were the... How many food groups are there? There were four when I was growing up. Are there still four food groups? I feel like there's, it's changed, right? It's, everybody say it with me. It's candy, 
candy canes, candy corns. What was the other? And, and syrup, right? Syrup. Somebody, somebody out there was thinking it. Tell me somebody was thinking. There are four food groups. And there are times when these messages here are just a lot of broccoli. And you might walk out of here and go, oh, that wasn't very good, but I guess I learned something. You know? It was kind of broccoli. But there are times when it's like, wow, that was... Well, maybe not in here. Maybe in service. You're like, wow, that was really good. That was like a, you know, maybe a, a steak with some buttery sauce on it or something. I'm trying to think. I don't know. I'm hungry. Um, I've been fasting since before first service. Um, but the role of the shepherd is to lay the food in front of the sheep. To take them to a point where they can eat it. Son of man, in in Ezekiel 34, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that, look, do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? I mean, yeah, now granted, a shepherd needs to eat in order to properly take and tend the sheep in the field. Like, probably brought a lunch with them, right? They need to eat. That's not, he's not saying that. He's saying that shepherds that feed themselves at the expense of the flock. And there is a connotation here that they might even eat of the flock. But that's another discussion for another time. So, the, a shepherd is going to, you know, you've probably heard it said, when, when somebody prepares a message, when you prepare for discipleship and you're teaching discipleship, you're probably going to get more out of it than you actually teach or share. You're gonna, because you're spending time in it. You're immersing yourself in it. Yes, the shepherd needs to eat, so they're sufficiently nourished to give it, but not at the expense of the flock. So this brings us to our second lesson. The immature focuses on the lack rather than the provision. Okay? So what did the disciples do in the message, or in the passage rather, in Matthew 15? And the disciples said unto him, When should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? So there, the, the, the immature focuses on, on what we have is insufficient rather than on the provision. They don't look at Jesus and say, we got seven loaves. What can you do with that? Jesus, who can turn water to wine and do other miracles, like, can you do something with this? They're like, wait, wait, what's this? I mean, this, what is this, a school for ants? I mean, what is this, bread enough for just a few people? Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's a reference to a movie, again, not necessarily one I recommend. But the insufficiency, insufficiency is all around us. Yours truly is a really insufficient. I'm really insufficient for this. When people when people talk to me about uh, oh, thank you for taking time, I'm like well, honestly, this wasn't that wasn't a bit that wasn't the biggest deal. Like I, I feel sometimes like I need to give more. There's times when I feel like I'm woefully insufficient for for what I'm doing, like woefully. Now I, I still want you to ask. Don't be like wow, Mitch just admitted that he's a horrible minister. I, I'm going to give you what I got. I just often feel like I don't have a lot to bring to the table. 
which I hope is a good thing. I hope that means I'm trusting the Lord. Notice in Numbers 11, 21-22, And thou hast said, I will give them flesh, that they may eat a whole month. Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? There's always going to be need. There's never going to be enough. Right. Especially for 600,000. Especially for 600,000. Uh, there's never going to be enough. of I, Like, I could give everything I have to you and it's not going to suffice. It's just not. In John 6, in verse 7 and 9, Philip answered, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may even take a little. Like, you can only slice that bread so much that it's just a little bit of crumbs. There is a lad here which had five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? So the immature is going to focus on the lack rather than what is provided. In Psalm 78, yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy, uh, I think the Holy One of Israel. There's there's a cutoff there, so I apologize. And limited God. They limited God. That is an amazing concept. I've heard years ago when I was in high school, I was witnessing to a guy, and he just couldn't believe that there was a God. He said, answer me this. Can God create a rock he can't move? Because if he can create a rock he can't move, he's insufficient to move the rock. But if he can't create the rock that he can't move, then he's insufficient to create a rock big enough. So clearly God has limitations. And I said, well, he made a hell that he won't pull you out of. He's, he chooses to limit himself. He, he will not pull you out of that hell. He has laid a gift of eternal life in front of you, and you're choosing hell. He will not pull you out of that hell. He has made a way for you to get out of that hell by faith in, in Jesus Christ. But he will not, against your will, pull you out of hell. And literally, we have the ability to limit God. And that is amazing to me. These disciples, when they have just a few loaves, say, well, we haven't got, we haven't got enough. And if it hadn't been for Jesus wanting to prove it, he would have been like, well, you're right, we don't have enough. You know, there, there's a saying I meant to actually put, if you shoot too low as a goal, you'll hit it. There's a more eloquent way of saying it, but we're going through right now. We're going through uh, annual performance reviews and goal setting at work and that whole thing. And and you got to you got to stretch yourself a little bit with a goal because if you aim too low, you will absolutely hit it. If you trust God a little bit, He'll come through with a little. You are limiting the Holy One. So when you have reached the end of yourself. You're ready to trust God and then lead others. That's the point at which you, if you want to be a shepherd, and I think we all want that to some degree. We want to disciple people. We want to share. We want to bring people along. So I'm talking to you. If you desire to be in ministry, and it doesn't mean you're going to be you know, a pastor. It doesn't mean you're going to be giving up your job. It means you want to teach the word. You want to invest in other people. If you want to do that, you have to reach the end of yourself and say, God, what are you going to do with, with a handful of loaves? Because I can't. Like, I don't have any more to give. 
I don't know what else you want from me, God. Notice in 2 Corinthians 3, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as, our, as, a, of, as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, one of Israel. In 2 Corinthians 12.9, he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is, is, is actually, I'm adding that word, is actually made perfect in weakness. He actually takes pleasure in showing up when you're weak. So if you're banging your head on the wall trying so hard and not getting anywhere, may I suggest there's an alternative. And just finally realizing you can't do it yourself, you need to trust him. And that brings us to our last and final lesson. What is in thine hand? What do, you, what do you have? What do you have? Notice in Exodus chapter 4, And the Lord said unto him, to Moses, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And God said, Cast it on the ground. So, so it's, a, it's a dry stick. Right. It's a dead dry stick. Cast it on the ground. He cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it because Moses and I are a lot alike. Whoa. Uh, and, and the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. Nobody ever preaches about the faith it took to grab the snake by the tail. Never grab a snake by the tail. Um, and he put forth his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand. And that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers... Right, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. God is in the business of taking these dead pieces of wood in your hand and turning them into something great. Amen. I mean, do you? No one. It's never recorded. I, uh, Moses walking around going, "Look at this really cool rod I have." <laughs> You want to see a cool trick? Not until after God does it. Then he's kind of like, look at this rod I've got. God can do a really cool trick. So the familiar becomes supernatural. The familiar, this dead stick, just a few loaves, becomes supernatural. You want God to do something supernatural in your life? Turn it over to him. Stop working so hard at it. Now, you've got to be committed, you've got to be in, you've got to be humble. But then, what was, it, what was really incredible? The familiar became potential at that point. So he picks it up. At that point, it becomes potential. Whoa, I can do something with this. And notice what he does. He confronts the Egyptian soothsayers with it. He turns the waters of Egypt to blood. He brings forth the plague of frogs, of lice, of thunder, of hail, of locusts. He uses it to part the Red Sea. uses it to bring water from a rock. He uses it to bring great victory over the Amalekites. The rod means something at that point. It's a great potential. I guarantee you have something in your hand that is of no consequence. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's in your hand that really probably isn't going to make a big eternal impact in the world. But boy, if you get to the end of yourself and just turn it over to the Lord, He can do something amazing with it. He can do something amazing with it. So I guess I'll just end with this question as we wrap up. How many loaves have ye? 
I mean, that's literally what Jesus is getting to. He's literally calling the question of, what do you have to give me that I can turn into something really cool? I mean, they talk about this miracle, the feeding of the 4,000, like for a long time. It's referenced in other places. Jesus refers back to it. I mean, this is a, it's a thing. How many loaves have ye? What are you? What is in your hand that you're willing to lay down at the at the throne of God and say, God, you've got all of me here. And it's probably something that you think is pretty inconsequential, but He can absolutely turn it into something supernatural and something with a ton of potential if you're just willing to use it for Him. But all of this, ladies and gentlemen, is predicated, all of it is predicated on the relationship that we have with him. Like, if you're not a believer, if you're not a a son or daughter of the king, if you are not redeemed by the blood of the lamb, then none of this is going to work. Fasting's not going to work. Trying to, to, you, you will only see insufficiency in your life. You will only see insufficiency, and you will never trust Him to do an amazing work. You might think you will. You might convince yourself that you will. Satan might even convince you that you're trusting Him, but you're not. If you are not redeemed by the blood, if you have not exchanged your sin nature for His righteousness in a completely uneven trade that He is willing to make, if you, are, if you have not accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, this doesn't apply. Go ahead and eat the loaves. And you're, you'll be, your belly will be full for a day or whatever, a couple days. But you're going to thirst again. Jesus said He has water from a well that will allow you to never thirst again. And I implore you, if you've not made that decision, I need to speak with you about this. We have to get this dealt with. Because all of this is just pretty words, just a neat slide, just a guy talking in front of you. You need to get that taken care of. That is your number one need. If you've made that decision and you're looking at the next step, maybe it's baptism, maybe it's membership in this church, maybe it's discipleship, maybe you want to disciple someone, maybe you need to get involved in in taking what we used to call D2, now Foundations 2 and 3, so that you can build a little bit of your faith, we get you involved in all, whatever it is, there's a next step for you, believer. And if we need to have a discussion about that, we we should. Because there is a next step. I, I can look at every in this room and there is a next step and I, you know like Sam said there's three fingers and maybe if I do it like this a thumb pointing back at me I have next steps Sam has next uh, every pastor here has like we all are growing do not hesitate to take that next step Let's talk about it. Let's pray first. Lord, we thank you for the time. We thank you for uh, a very clear lesson that we do have loaves. It's insufficient in and of ourselves. We can't feed the multitude with it. But boy, boy, Lord, you can do an amazing work with it. You can do something supernatural and you can turn it into something with amazing potential. So, Lord, do that work in our lives. And for those who have not made the decision to trust you as Savior, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just continue to convict them. Thank you for bringing them here today. But, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would convict them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That they would understand their need for for a redeeming love. 
And Lord, for the believers, Lord, just continue to show them. Uh, we have structure here, Lord, but Lord, just show them what the next step is. Thank you for the decisions that have been made recently. I pray for those who are looking and seeking for that next step or looking for your guidance on what that looks like, how that tangibly manifests itself. I ask that you give them wisdom. You give me wisdom as I, as I attempt to guide them. Lord, thank you for this time together, and thank you for these folks. In Jesus' name, amen.